Well, it's Sunday, July 11, 2010, and you're listening to the Option Key webcast. This is the Option Key webcast. Stuff on Google. PC. Fred, you got Vista 64 yet? His router's piece of garbage on. That's probably the hyper-threading kicking in and the 20% faster per core. GTX 280. Google Docs. Stuff fun. Yeah, well, you know, you understand where Microsoft's trying to come from, where they're trying to change the file edit view menu. My money's going to be on, no, you will not have a problem. And, uh, yeah, I've had nothing but good experiences with it. Very big mistake. If it wasn't backwards compatible, because, I mean, they got harassed about Vista. Well, in the business world, if your apps don't work, you don't switch. The thing here is, I mean, the apps are backwards compatible. Yeah, but we heard this all before. You know what? I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it lasted, you know, another five years, and I bet you... So yours will be better right now for rendering, but the i7s will be faster. I have with me Rebecca Harold from www.privacyprofessor.com, who is a, I would like to call a privacy expert. Rebecca, uh, you have a law degree and whatnot, and what's your kind of uh, field there? I know it's mostly to do with privacy, so... Well, it is to do with privacy. Um, I do not have a law degree. Actually, I have a pretty diverse background. I started out in math and computer science, and I worked my way into privacy and legal compliance uh, when I was responsible for the information protection department at a large multinational financial and insurance company back in the 1990s. So at that time, there was no... um, really law or regulation that governed privacy requirements. So I saw that back then as something that I felt very strongly needed to be addressed. So I assumed the privacy requirements then, and then all of a sudden, Gramm-Leach-Bliliac came along, HIPAA came along, and so uh, I became very interested in keeping up with and knowing how to comply from a technical and a practitioner standpoint, all these different data protection laws. Uh, but my, my degrees are in math, computer science, and education. Well, being at math uh, and education and whatnot, that's good enough for me. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, today the podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, privacy issues and what kind of things people should be keeping private and what kind of things are more or less all right to post uh, publicly? Well, you know, a lot of privacy and the the whole concept of privacy really revolves around what people uh, feel are comfortable and what is appropriate for them to not only post online but also to share and have used in many different ways. Now, in general, of course, the things that you should not post online are the types of items, information items that could be used uh, to perform such things as identity theft, identity fraud, or to get access to your credit accounts, to get access uh, to your bank accounts. So, of course, you wouldn't want to post such things as your credit card numbers, your, your bank account numbers, uh, social security numbers, and so on. And what complicates the, the problem around privacy and what you post or shouldn't post online is the fact that many businesses have decided now to start using other types of personal information items 
as identifiers uh, to validate the identity of their customers. So now all of a sudden these other types of items have uh, become risks for people to post online and to publicize in ways that never before used to be risks. For instance, your mother's maiden name. Now back in the 1990s, before that was a common identifier and identity validator, it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal to uh, let people know what your mother's maiden name or what your even grandmother's maiden name is uh, because that wasn't something that was uh, possible to use to get into your various financial accounts or other types of business accounts. But now... Um, there's many different businesses that use those types of information items to validate identity. And after you validate your identity with a company, oftentimes you can get access into accounts and get access to electronic funds and so on. So I guess the, the primary uh, tip for your listeners would be they need to know what types of information items the businesses uh, work with that they do business with what they use to validate validate their identities and then they should not post those types of information items online because somebody else might then be able to get access to them and get into those business accounts and do do bad and malicious things well like uh i know for instance uh you know a lot of well basically a lot of the uh even after the recession here, or uh, yeah, whatever you want to call it, recession, uh, whatever, you can just, uh, <laughs> if you can uh, breathe, you can pretty much still get a credit card and whatnot. So, right. Uh, and, you know, it. I mean, all you need is to have a few people with an open Facebook account find out who their friends are, whatnot, and get access to their account. I mean, Facebook is very, very easily hackable. Oh, yeah. Well, and and that's because people post so much information about themselves out there, and then they turn around, and when they choose to uh, create their security questions on the massive number of websites where it allows you to choose your own security questions, they turn around and use the exact same thing that they've posted out there and uh, have made viewable to the world. And then, it, it, like you said, it becomes very easy then to, to get that information. I think a, a very good example was back in 2008 during the U.S. presidential elections when Sarah Palin had her Yahoo mail account hacked. And it, it wasn't really a true hack, you know, from a techie point of view. It was uh, very simply the fact that the person got into her email account because she had given all of these um, all of these interviews with reporters about where she grew up and how she met her husband and so on and so forth and then when you went to her Yahoo email account and it asked for her security question uh, her question she had chosen was all about where she grew up and how she met her husband and so on so you know it wasn't that big of a challenge for anyone to be able to get into her email account and change her password and then basically have free reign and access to every everything that was in her email account so uh, she's a she's a good poster child I guess for that I don't think she'd want to be but that's basically what that is yeah, uh, Paris Hilton would be another good example. 
uh, yes. with her T-Mobile account being hacked, with oh, the, right. her password being her dog's name. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, the some of the most famous people uh, can provide the best examples of of security no-nos that you know people should be able to learn from and and if organizations would use those types of examples in their security and privacy training and awareness efforts i think that makes such training and awareness more interesting and it makes people understand better i think uh the impact of poor security and and how it really can infringe upon their privacy so hopefully those types of examples if more organizations would would use real life examples like that instead of the dry you know just uh very non-interesting types of training that a lot of companies use i think uh, a lot of organizations would improve their security and privacy dramatically i agree with you uh 100 i actually wrote a whole uh, blog post a little while back in 2009, I believe, about uh, how to create a good password. Uh, oh, good. I'll just, I'll just uh, send you the text sure. link here. Okay. About that. But essentially, I was saying don't post any uh, personal information into your password whatsoever. You know, mm-hmm. use two right. words that you can relate to, but nobody else is aware of. Yeah, right? that's a very good. That's a very good uh, way to create your passwords. And use at least one alternative character, such as an underscore, mm-hmm. an asterisk, an ampersand, something mm-hmm. like that, and uh, a number. That be probably the most secure way, besides having a completely random password that you're never going to remember. Oh, yeah. And you know that making it memorable is something that's so important. And uh, another method that I advise people to use when they're creating passwords is to think of a a common phrase that's easy for them to remember and then just use the first letters and capitalize proper nouns and then put exclamation points or numbers in there. And uh, the example I use is um, the, the phrase, Noah is my first son so uh what i do is i say well a good password might be n i capital n lowercase i one lowercase s and then exclamation point and then put maybe his date after that in numbers so you know it's something that not too many people would be able to find in a dictionary but it's something that i could easily remember yeah, but the whole thing about passwords is they're always susceptible to brute force attacks. Doesn't yep. matter what kind of password you have, unless it's something where it's completely brand new, say, you know, uh, 4,000 bit encryption, yada yada, 50 mm-hmm. characters, you're going to have. Uh, Anybody with a half decent uh, computer these days will be able to brute force it. So, right, and that's why it's important too to to occasionally change those passwords after they've been around a while, just uh, to make sure that if somebody did discover it during one of those types of attacks, then uh, you can cut off the access as quickly as possible. Yeah, my father wanted to. wanted me to set up something where he could back up all his stuff online. 
Uh-huh. But he wanted to put all his credit card information stuff down because he doesn't oh. remember that kind of thing. I just told him no. Yeah. <laughs> Pen, paper, yes. and a lockbox. If yeah, you those... really want to do something like that, then you burn it onto a DVD or something. Exactly. And, you know, bringing up those online backup sites, I think there's some really good ones out there. But like you said, you have to think about what is it you're putting, you're entrusting to some other entity whose security controls you know nothing about. So if you have something that you would never want anyone else to find out about, do not put it on an online site. Well, then uh, even technical glitches. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, Google, uh, Google, Microsoft, they have bots going all the time, right? One right, little right. glitch on an FTP server, doesn't matter what. It, oh, yeah. They'll come across it. It'll get put into a database somewhere. Someone will type something into the search engine and come up. And, I mean, there's stuff on the net from back 1990 so yes <laughs> there is it's so funny to to do searches and sometimes find you know uh comments from from those conversations way back when on the chat boards so definitely and then you have the insider threat so that's something else that people need to think about you know in uh, employees at these sites that you're posting to social media sites uh business sites Maybe somebody gets a little ticked off and they think that they aren't getting paid enough or they think they're going to get fired. Um, Keep in mind that the people who have access to your personal information might uh, get some sort of vendetta and and want to do bad things with that data just to get back at their employer. Um, Uh, So that. Oh, I was just going to say the winner's example would be a perfect example of that Mm -hmm. where they, a person just walked out with the, hard drive and all the customer information. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, you know, there's all these different possibilities, all these different types of threats, and uh, people need to keep that in mind whenever they are considering posting something online. And, you know, my general rule of thumb for folks who want to post, especially to social media sites, is do not post anything out to social media site, no matter what type of security controls and privacy controls it says it has just don't post it unless you would be comfortable with the entire world seeing it because you never can tell what might happen with it well i mean when facebook first started it had a very good privacy policy Mm -hmm. which has changed over time to be not so good Right. I mean, it's it, it's changed so dramatically. It's almost like, uh, you know, you wonder sometimes it's, it, how much it's changed if that was, you know, in the plan from uh, back when it first came out to kind of lull people into this sense of security and, and privacy protections and then slowly degrade those privacy protections. And, and I'm not sure that it was really a grand plan like anything like that, but certainly that's what's happened with regard to how all the changes that they have made to uh, their privacy or so-called privacy controls that they have out there now. Well, in regards to Facebook, I think that's more of them trying to figure out how to make money. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yep. they could very easily, uh, you know, it's the same thing as Google. Google is an advertising company because of AdWords. 
Yeah. That's how they make their money. And Facebook could easily just copy the same kind of business format. But oh, yeah. They don't. Instead, they pay. They got a bunch of money, a one-time lump sum money, a bunch of money from Microsoft. And uh, now that that agreement's done, Microsoft, I don't know what's going on exactly with that right now, but I do believe that they're kind of, Facebook thinks they can do it better on their own. So, uh, you know, but I mean, people don't want intrusive ads and I, I'm rarely on Facebook anymore. I just usually, I check a couple things on it occasionally, but for the most part, I just use TweetDeck. Yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, I kind of go back and forth uh, between I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. And, and I find that I, I have different things to say in the different mediums. I mean, with Twitter, I find it's a good way to just shoot out, you know, short messages whenever I see news or whenever I want to share, um, like you say, blog posts or different types of things that you can just shoot out there really quickly. Facebook's really interesting in how you can actually take many different types of groups that you communicate with, both your very personal, your family, uh, your social, and mix it with your business. And, and that's creating some very interesting types of situations now where you're posting to your old college buddies maybe and putting photos out there for them to see. And uh-oh, uh, if you're a teacher now, your uh, elementary kids can see these photos because you friended them even though they aren't supposed to be on there because they're under 13. There are a lot of kids on there. So um, I think those are some things that people need to think about with regard to what they post online and and how to protect their privacy. The fact that uh, there may be many more types of audiences for what they put out there than they had ever expected. Yeah, it seems to me Facebook needs more of a filtering system, kind of like your uh, acquaintances, mm -hmm. uh, your uh, work friends or colleagues, and then your po close personal friends, and then your family kind of uh that would be a good way to for them to uh you know yeah categorize things yeah you could have like your facebook home and then you could have different rooms within your home with different uh groups in each room and you decide when you you want the rooms uh you know gather with or intermingle with each other but right now it's pretty much an open uh, open place to be for all of these different people to be seeing everything that you put out there and uh, i don't think i see that changing because i think that would really um kind of choke in the face of the facebook management what they want to have uh, going on on facebook which is having the most people sharing the most types of links and pointers and and recommendations and likes and everything else as possible yeah um but that's the thing they have to decide because right now, they, it's almost like they want to be Twitter. Mm-hmm. Right? But they're not Twitter. They have to decide what they want to do. They're a complex social media uh, community where you have people intermixing work and personal life. And they mm -hmm. have to find a way to separate that. Because uh, yeah, if they don't, that's going to turn a lot of people off of it i mean people are starting to get fired from uh oh yeah using facebook so 
using Facebook and using Twitter. And uh, what intrigues me about Twitter, too, is how people put things out on Twitter and they don't even think about the fact that their boss might actually be on Twitter, too. And, and uh, the, you know, the uh, FBI, I mean, the threats that have been made against uh, President Obama, you know, from earlier this year, uh, death threats. It's like, now, come on, what are you thinking when you, you put that kind of thing out there, making a threat against the president as a, a federal offense? You don't want to have the Secret Service and the FBI come knocking at your door because you thought you were making a funny statement on Twitter. And then now with the Library of Congress, uh, basically keeping all tweets that people put out there, you know, within their records. Why, for who knows how long, all eternity, I guess you could say, or as long as we live. Um, that's a very interesting situation, too, to think, you know, everything that you're putting in your tweets is going to be preserved and probably searchable by who? The public someday, uh, your bosses, your potential bosses, Organizations are already doing checks. I, a recent statistic, and I can't remember off the top of my head the, the company that did it, but they found that 70% of businesses actively search social media sites to make employment decisions. But then they also did a study to see how many job seekers uh, thought that their social media information would be checked, and only 7% of the people who were looking for jobs thought that anybody would actually be looking out on their social media sites. So, so that's a very wide difference in actions that are happening in it. And those people who are seeking jobs and not thinking that potential employers are going to be checking their sites, they could be putting stuff out there that could be uh, eliminating uh, eliminating them from consideration. Uh, for jobs that they may really need to get or would really like to have. Yeah. Uh, good example of that for myself. Uh, you know, I'm a bit critical of Microsoft because, well, quite frankly, I think somebody has to be. Uh, <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, you know, uh, Windows 7, I'm very happy with Windows 7. Uh, but when Windows Vista came out, mm -hmm. I just you know, took it right to them in my blog posts and everything because it was absolutely terrible. I hadn't seen anything that bad since Windows Millennium Edition. And I started keying the, coining the phrase when I talked to people about it as being Millennium Edition's bastard child because <laughs> that was about the it extent of it. It was pretty bad, yeah. But that's good because by, well, you know, Oh, and, and who knows when you're you're putting out criticism, but you know that's different when you're putting out criticism, and I think it's constructive criticism because it's based upon your review and your use of a product. That's one thing, but when people are putting out you know pictures of themselves naked at a party, you know on their Facebook because they share it only with their friends, but they didn't put the right privacy controls on their account or Facebook changed their privacy controls so now the whole world can see those photos you know that's a little bit different type of thing too because that's where they're mixing what they're doing in their personal life and it's impacting what happens in their professional life or, or potentially will yeah. but you're 
your criticisms, though, of new software, I think that's very much needed. I mean, how else are we going to ensure that we have good operating systems out there, good software out there, uh, unless we speak up about, you know, what you find and, and you pass on your, your findings about uh, your experiences with it? I think that's a great thing. Yeah, the only unfortunate thing is, just based on the way things are right now, they're like uh, here in Alberta, uh, if say I was a nurse or a doctor and I wanted to apply for a position, I have to use Windows. Ah, right, right. There's no if and or buts about it. They don't allow me to submit a resume via Mac or Linux. Mm-hmm. Right, it's all right. integrated. So I mean, they're basically making a monopoly where they shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, they've had that monopoly for quite a while. It's it's kind of breaking a little bit now, don't you think? Um, they don't have as big of a market as they used to, do they, Microsoft? No, their web dominance is we, uh, waving, but... Uh, yeah, it depends on the area that you talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, in the government and, I mean, if you wanted to do anything for the government or anything like that, you have to use Microsoft Word, well, basically Microsoft Office and Windows. Right. Uh, That's that's what they've standardized on. Yeah, I mean, and uh, even for uh, schooling, my cousin who's in high school right now, uh, Mm -hmm. you know what? Microsoft Office for the Home and Student Edition is $150. That's expensive for a family. Oh, yeah. You know, for a single license. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. It is. And, I mean, the government should be completely training everyone on Open Office, which can do everything Microsoft Office can, you know, up to a point. But then... You know, they've been trained on how to do the formulas and everything like that. And then they can learn the differences in office from the employer or whoever, you know, buys them the software to use that for. Right. Yeah. And and I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with um, the government offices and what the rules are in Canada. I know in the U.S., I think a lot of it, like you as always, is it's a political type of thing, but too it comes down to economics as well. So, you know, who's giving them the best uh, deal on their their operating systems, their hardware, their their full package deals, and so on? I think that's a big uh, a big factor also in there. So, um, it's it's very interesting why decisions are made to to standardize on certain platforms and oftentimes it's not made based solely on just you know ease of use or what is truly the best operating system oftentimes it has to do with uh, many other things in the background that you never hear about yeah well a little off topic here but out in quebec uh there's actually a big kind of a scandalous thing going on because uh, contracts were just awarded to all the Microsoft firms without actually op- to a Microsoft uh, firm. Well, it's not they're a Microsoft shop. They provide services for via Microsoft products, uh, but they didn't op- they didn't do a proper bidding uh, process or anything like that to any other companies. And 
uh, open source oh. company found out about it. Mm-hmm. And now the kind of the shit's hitting the fan kind of thing there. So Because it, they have a, a fair competition type of of regulation in place, don't they? Yeah. To make sure that everybody gets fair and equal treatment for consideration. Yeah. So yeah. that's uh, one of the good things about it, but I can see that changing in the future depending because, uh, well, down there, uh, you know, I'm not really following pretty closely because we're kind of having a just big old political mess up here. But, uh, you know, everything mm-hmm. government based is just becoming more and more closed, less transparent. Uh-oh. And it's getting pretty frustrating about that. So, yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. So, uh, but anyway, let's get back to the point here about the privacy. The privacy. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I usually tell people that um, you know, a good practice for them to do um, if they're worried about that kind of thing, especially nowadays, uh, their credit checking and credit reporting. They should be checking it themselves, making sure everything's in order, you know, a minimum once a year, you know. Right. I usually do it quarterly myself, you know, every uh, three months or so, get a credit report. Well, and you know, too, down in the U.S., um, and I'm not sure, probably up in Canada as well, you you have the ability to get two free credit reports, uh, a year, so you might as well take advantage of that and see what they have in them. And then certainly, if you participate in a lot of online com- uh, communities, if you use your credit card uh, a lot to shop, not only online but certainly uh, just in physical stores, because there's a lot of uh, identity fraud that goes on with how credit card information is handled within restaurants, retail stores, and so on, then certainly you should get a, a credit uh, check at least once a year. But I think your your quarterly check is a good idea, too, if you travel a lot and you use your credit card a lot and so on. And, and the more credit cards and accounts you have, too, the more often that you should do a, a credit check. Uh, and also, if you ever notice suspicious activities or you've been a victim of a burglary uh, in your home or a robbery uh, when you're out been mugged or something, that's also a good reason to increase the frequency of your credit checks. Yeah, uh, that's one of the reasons why I do uh, the credit check uh, quarterly because I do Twitter a lot. I post on Facebook and MySpace, and along with other uh, LinkedIn, etc., and you know, have a blog post and a website. So, you know, I not as paranoid maybe as I could be. I don't wear aluminum foil hat or anything like that. But I mean, it could very easily get to that point if something were to happen. Yeah, and you're aware, so that's good. The your level of awareness makes you realize that yeah, this is kind of a good thing to check on every now and then, and it certainly doesn't hurt. And if if you can catch something as a result of one of those things, you're going to be so happy that you did. I mean, why wait twelve months down the road to find out that somebody's been using your credit card um, during that time, and you never maybe closely check your credit card bills or you. You didn't notice all of those ten and fifteen dollar charges that were occurring over those months. You might as well find out within two or three months of of something happening and save yourself a lot of headache. 
Yeah, because uh, depending on, I know Visa has an anti-fraud chart, uh, anti-fraud policy, but I don't believe that Mastercard, and I'm not sure about American Express what their uh, anti-fraud policy is. I know with Visa, if you catch it right away, it's usually not an issue, but yeah, I, I don't know, like eight months down the road, kind of thing. Yeah, and you know that's in, and and that's something I haven't um, checked on lately. But now that you bring it up, that would be a good thing to kind of revisit what the fine print says for uh, each of their their credit card rules, and you know the responsibilities people have for for making sure that that those types of things are caught, as opposed to the the credit companies. Uh, responsibilities because those change sometimes too yeah um so rebecca are you also on uh foursquare no i'm not on foursquare and you know those location-based types of social media that i find them intriguing uh because of how i work and how comparatively little i travel i don't really see the need to use them plus i just I'm not interested in letting people know where I am because I just don't see a benefit to that. But I can see where other folks might find that to be beneficial, especially, you know, if they uh, are meeting with lots of different groups or uh, people and and it helps to keep them aware of where they're at. But uh, it certainly is something that can lend itself uh, to invading privacy it really depends upon how comfortable you are with letting the world know uh, your whereabouts. And also, uh, the people who are your friends or contacts within those uh, location-based social media tools and applications that are using them. Um, you know, if, if people are also trying to, uh, you know, increase their fame or, you know, increase their customer base, maybe participating would be a good move to help do a, a type of marketing as well. But the people that use those just really need to keep in mind the safety threats that it could bring along with it. Um, and also just keep in mind maybe their personal history. I mean, uh, could participating in these types of sites, could that maybe lend itself to stalking or to robbery or home invasion or other types of attacks and I know some people say oh well you know that's not going to increase those types of things that much but there actually have been uh, increases in the people who have participated in these types of sites when they've said you know we're me and my wife are out in uh, Hawaii and they live you know in Cleveland Ohio and all of a sudden somebody sees that they're not at home so they can go and kind of help themselves to their house. So uh, you, you just really need to keep in mind that not everyone who follows you or who sees those posts that you put to those location-based social media applications, not everyone may be a true friend or have good intentions that you've allowed to see those posts. Well, then you don't know who else is just uh, randomly looking for uh, things because if you're all at yeah. the same location, uh, say, mm -hmm. uh, I put that I'm at the Safeway in uh, St. Albert here, then somebody mm -hmm. can 
click on the Safeway in St. Albert, see who else has visited it, right? Because they have the whole mirror. Uh, mayor. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? To see how often you visit that kind of location, right? And what time. And yes, that could really lend itself to some uh, interesting situations. It'd make your job easy if you were a private investigator. <laughs> yes, it would. It would. But, you know, you know, if you maybe live alone and, you know, maybe you shop really late at night and maybe you walk to the store from half a mile away. I mean, those could put yourself into some situations uh, that may lend itself to some bad things happening too. So it, it really depends upon your lifestyle. It depends upon what you do, uh, who who's looking at that information. Like you said, uh, about anybody can find that information. They don't have to be specifically linked to you or friended to you or following you to find it. They could just do a search and, and be able to locate that information. Yeah. It's quite a new kind of uh, society we live in where, uh, you know, you're basically advertising things for companies for free mm -hmm. and kind of getting a type of fame from it at the same time instead of right. you know where maybe they should be if you use a particular product a lot and do that kind of thing where they should be offering you you know discounts on that kind of thing because you're pretty much actively promoting you know their product for them without oh sure yeah definitely being paid for it so um which brings me to uh the biggest uh, kind of uh, red alert thing for privacy I can see, um, I joined this just to see what it was about, but uh, mm -hmm. that link for uh, Blippi I sent you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to check that out. Uh, essentially what it is is if you're a member, uh, you can friend people and follow people and what they've purchased on their credit card. Oh, yes, yes, that's right, that's right. You know, that, that can lead to some pretty interesting um, spam, identity fraud, profiling. Uh, and like you said, it can lead to other adverse activities as well. Knowing what you, that gives a good view uh, of what you like to do and uh, the types of activities that you participate in. And it could give an incorrect view, too. Yeah. Like, um, just for an example here, um, I am following I Justine and Leo Laporte. And I see here, just for example, I Justine rented two movies at Netflix for Office Season 4. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Now, that's very interesting. And, gosh, that makes me wonder, too, um, with the current types of data protection laws, there's some that are very specific to the videos. And, of course, the, the language in those regulations tend to become outdated very quickly when they get uh, specific to technology. But, you know, the, the different types of laws that apply to the organization that's providing those videos... Uh, that says that they cannot share that type of information, but yet these types of applications then um, have people uh, freely putting that out there themselves 
And so, you know, they're exposing themselves when these laws were kind of created to protect them. Uh, but then here's kind of a back door that allows us information to go out to the world and be used by whomever wants to take it and use it. Yeah. Like, for example, I purchase occasionally on iTunes. I have my iTunes account synced to this. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I just get the free song that is offered in iTunes. So somebody mm-hmm. decides to purchase $50 worth of apps, I'm going to know about it. So, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, you'll catch that right away. Just think of uh, the profiling, the, the assumptions that could be made on those purchases. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're making purchases as gifts for other people, but... Uh, people can make a lot of assumptions based upon purchases about what people are like or or what they do, and it could be completely incorrect. Yeah, here's an example of some of the uh, retailers and services that are that allow you to post on uh, Blippi here: uh, Walmart, eBay, Best Buy. Oh my iTunes. gosh. Uh, I, I'm just thinking with eBay and Walmart, especially. Just can you imagine the the types of things that you would see out there? Yeah, uh, you could. Someone went and bought a, uh, you know, twenty-four pack of condoms from on Walmart. eBay. <laughs> that might be very risky there, but uh, yeah, on Walmart too, it, it that would very much uh, be something that could cause not only embarrassment, but who knows, something maybe worse than as well. Yeah, be much like uh, could have a whole other Tiger Woods. Uh, issue yeah (laughs) well you know it's funny that um that site uh uh, how long has has that been around and been being used about a a year or so yeah about a year um it's it's funny that uh such things as that of course if the celebrities aren't using it yet why then uh you probably haven't heard of it but how long it will it be before you start seeing headlines talking about what the different uh celebrities or politicians the purchases they made and uh, having that come into play let's say for uh, the November elections I mean uh, that's not out of the question yeah that would be very interesting um yeah I mean that's why I just kind of I had to think twice about it after I put my iTunes account on there and just like uh I think that's all I'm gonna do right now until I can have a closer look at this and then I just kind of just left it there mm-hmm. and I'm glad I have because I don't want people to know the kind of things that I'm purchasing if I'm if I buy a new laser printer I will tell people about that but I don't want them right. to know that I bought a bag of chips from Walmart or uh, or a case of wine or yeah, or whatever the kind yeah. of wine I like or that kind yeah. of thing because that could lead to uh, can lead to a lot of profiling very easily. Oh, and just think too: what if, um, what if you have insurance that says that uh, you get a discount for not being a smoker and for not drinking? But all of a sudden, we have these purchase uh, records that show you're buying Marlboros and uh, having all sorts of cases of beer and and wine and everything else. I mean. There shouldn't be, according to different laws and regulations, consideration for that type of information. But you know that that opens up the possibility that uh, 
those things could be taken into consideration for, for really things that could impact uh, your finances and, and your lifestyle, insurance and jobs and so on. Yeah, I listened to uh, Security Now uh, from the Twit Network, and I need to send uh, Steve uh, Gibson an email about that because I think he just kind of go nuts about that. Yeah. Because uh, he's all about keeping everything kind of private and secure and, you know, not giving too much away, that kind of thing. And I really had to think twice about uh, Blippi there and allowing yeah. myself to post anything else on there. So Right. Well, when Blippi was created, I wonder what they said, you know, well, why do people want to share information about their purchases. Was this probably from a marketer's point of view saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if people liked our our merchandise, if they would would post about it and so we'd automatically know when they were putting it out there and the people's motivation for sharing their purchase information would be what? Just so perhaps their friends can see what they purchased and, and then ask them if they liked it and so on? Um, it's very interesting to to post everything that you purchase out there from certain stores. Yeah, and uh, Walmart because last time I checked on there, they had iTunes, Netflix, uh, Hulu, and uh, those kind of things, but they didn't have Walmart or eBay on there yet. Yeah, those are very interesting stores. I mean, why would somebody want to share everything that they buy at Walmart? I mean, the the variety and the the range of of things that you buy there is so great. Uh, I just don't understand why people would want to, but I'm sure that a lot of people probably are using it now. Yeah. And uh, uh, letting people know. I'm pretty sure they are too. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I put that in there because when it comes to privacy, you don't really want to be sharing too much about the kind of things that you're purchasing. Well, and you know, also, for these new types of services and new types of, of tools, and uh, people, I think, don't think about the privacy impacts when they start participating. They're thinking, oh, well, no big deal. Nobody's going to be interested in knowing what I buy, so why? Sh- you know, I'll just put it out there. But then I think after a lot of information has been shared and then other companies start using that and investigators start using that information, when this information starts being used in ways beyond the original intent of the people that posted the information out there, that's when all of a sudden they just uh, probably think, oh my gosh, you know, I never even thought about that. And then they say, well, why didn't somebody warn me about this uh, before I started using it? And the fact is, a lot of times, you know, the privacy issues are not known until privacy, bad things with privacy actually happens. So, so far in the digital uh, age here, we've had eBay, Facebook, PayPal, uh, all sorts of social networking, blogs. What would you say is the greatest threat that has come from the ease and the way that information is so readily available? Well, I, 
you know, that's a great question. I think, you know, there's probably not one answer to it, but I think one of the greatest threats is the fact that there's so much available out there in such a short period of time and people are fascinated with new things and they want to try everything and they see promises of uh, getting you know free things and uh, being able to get in touch with people they haven't seen for a long time I think all of these really new uh, capabilities and um, new types of activities that they have in front of them makes them want to participate without thinking about how their privacy and how their personal lives could be impacted. So I think this unawareness of the potential impact of sharing all of this information and not realizing how all this information can then be copied and shared and used for many different things beyond what they put out there for. I think that unawareness is probably one of the biggest threats to privacy that exists because typically the actions of people putting their own information out there in places that they shouldn't be, oftentimes that leads to uh, bad things with privacy happening. And, and right now with new technologies and new types of networks, there's not a, a lot of laws and regulations that really protect all of that information that you're putting out there on social media sites. I mean, beyond the privacy policies that uh, the social media sites themselves have, and as you know, those are pretty loose and they don't really protect your privacy. They more or less tell you how you don't have certain privacy rights with regard to what you post out there. Um, you know, th that kind of leaves people open by by just kind of throwing their information up in the wind so that anybody who wants it can use it however they they please, basically. Yeah, and I don't know. There's, I can see a lot of issues coming up here with the conversion to IPv6, mm -hmm. uh, the new version of the IP protocol, since every computer essentially is going to have its own independent IP address. It can be a good thing and a bad thing. It can be a good thing right. that, you know, they're going to be able to determine who's looking at child pornography. And it'll also mm -hmm. be a bad thing that they'll also know exactly what your websites you're looking at. Oh, right? yes. Because uh, each computer has a unique MAC address. And with IPv6, that MAC address is going to have an IP address, which can easily be tracked oh yeah I mean that can lead to many things and and something that I've been working on uh, since last June uh, with NIST is uh, leading their smart grid privacy group and that's been very interesting because the smart grid is going to be a, another very new type of network sharing very new types of information not really new information but information that to date you know had had not really been of value beyond creating electric bills but now all of a sudden you'll be able to see electric usage right down to the appliance smart appliance per uh, address and and just think about being able to now not only have all that information on the internet 
but also now having a network showing activities as indicated by electricity usage and just think about the potential of merging those two networks together the types of information you can tell about people if you have not only their internet information but also uh, their movements around their home and the, the appliances they're using it's it's pretty amazing and, and of course we aren't to that point yet by any degree but hopefully we'll get some some privacy controls built into the smart grid uh, up front so we can keep bad things from happening with that type of information. Yeah, we're getting closer and, it, and closer. It's Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to 1984 all the time, it seems. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, as you look back and read all these literature, I mean, it, it's always amazing to read the, the old science fiction books and to then see, oh my gosh, you know, things are happening now that used to be science fiction and now it's no longer science fiction and in fact it's a much more um, elegant type of solution than even the science fiction books had had imagined back then uh, so it's very interesting yeah and Rebecca I'd like to thank you for joining us but we're out of time here well I've enjoyed talking with you it's been uh, great to talk about all these different issues certainly Privacy is a huge universe of possibilities, and there's so many different aspects that we could hit upon. So uh, it's been fun talking with you about uh, these different social media issues as well as, as the other issues. Yes, and I'll have to have you uh, back on again. I'll get a couple other co-hosts because they have um, some other uh, good points for uh, privacy and whatnot. Uh, for instance, uh my regular co-host, Dion, he's a police officer now. Oh, great. So, uh, you Yeah, know, some good stories, I bet. Yeah, if he can share them or not. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, privacy more or less, you know, hinders what he needs to do for his job. You know, those kind of controls. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that's why we have laws, right? Because you're innocent till proven guilty as oh yeah but i mean yeah i mean it's a balancing act so that would be a wonderful conversation to have with law enforcement because i can i can you know relate to how they need to have access to certain information to do their investigation but i guess what i worry about a lot of times is after they get that information and their investigation is done what happens to that information and if it's left unprotected after the investigation's over with well the bad things can continue to happen then yeah well right now way it is here in canada police have to get a court order to check what somebody is doing on the internet which is how i think it should be just like a telephone tap yeah uh, yeah but uh our current federal government wants to change that law to allow them access anytime they want oh wow without a court order and they wow, put that's interesting well they just throw the whole child pornography thing in front of it to get anyone who poses that kind of thing to shut them up but you oh. know they don't fool me i know what they're planning well that would be another very good topic wouldn't it <laughs> yeah but we'll take care of that some other time and i've been speaking to rebecca harold 
from www.privacyprofessor.com. Um, so, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining me tonight, and um, I look forward to reading many more of your uh, Twitter feeds. So, Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This is the Object Key webcast. Stuff on Google. PC. Fred, you got Vista 64 yet? His router's piece of garbage on. That's probably the hyper-threading kicking in and the 20% faster per core. GTX 280. Google Docs. Not fun. Yeah, well, you know, you understand where Microsoft's trying to come from, where they're trying to change the file edit view menu. My money's going to be on no, you will not have a problem. And, uh, yeah, I've had nothing but good experiences with it. Very big mistake if it wasn't backwards compatible because, I mean, they got harassed about Vista. Well, in the business world, if your apps don't work, you don't switch. Because the thing here is, I mean, the apps are backwards compatible. Yeah, but we heard this all before. You know what? I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it lasted, you know, another five years. And I bet you. So yours will be better right now for rendering. But the i7s will be faster.